Our scripture this morning is Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Siva bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of Jesse, the son of Je- the prayers of David, the son of Jesse are ended. This is the word of the Lord. Well, next week we are starting a new series through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and we're going to fit in the book of Haggai. He's the prophet of the time uh, for those two books. So we have these books out in the foyer for you for next week. I know several of you have asked about these. So this is what's next, Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai. Haggai comes with other minor prophets. So if you want to grab a scripture journal, those are out in the foyer for you guys for the next uh, several weeks. But in here today, this morning, it's, it's still Christmas. So we are, we're doing the Psalms of Christmas, Psalms that point us to the person and work of Jesus, and we are in Psalm 72 this morning. Now, perhaps when we think about Christmas, you just all experience this, maybe you got the perfect gift. Uh, we all know that the perfect gift is Jesus, all right, but like, I'm not trying to downplay that, but the perfect material gift, you had this idea of what it was in your mind, and then it shows up. And you unwrap it, it's, it's the perfect shirt, it's the shirt you've been wanting, it was on your wish list, it looks even better in person than you saw it in the store. Or maybe it's the right toy, like the toy is, is so fun, and you get this perfect thing, and, and it's as much as you'd ever hoped for, all then to let the Christmas festivities go on, and then you try the shirt on later and it doesn't fit. Then you're dealing with uh, gift receipts, or trying to figure out if you can exchange this, or if you, you have a toy. Uh, I even heard a story of this just a little bit ago, like maybe perhaps you're playing with it and something breaks immediately, or it disappears, or uh, one of my Christmas traditions, I think, is trying to f- dig something out of the trash that I accidentally threw away that, needs, that I need to have, either a gift receipt or a part that I missed, 
all to have all this ideal of what you had in mind come to fruition and then not really be what you thought, to kind of fall short. What looked like the ideal gift wasn't actually fully realized. And perhaps that's a little bit how Israel felt in their history. Here they'd come into several of the promises of God, all to think like we've, we've realized it to not really fully realize it. Perhaps this was maybe the most true with the kings that they had in their history. They'd have a good king and there'd be some good realizations of this good king and his good reign and rule over their lives, all along to go along a little further where it wasn't fully realized and the kings weren't what they should have been. God made some big promises to Israel, promised them that he'd give them land. They go into the land and yet their enemies still remain. Promised them that he'd make them a multitude, a, a big nation, and yet they weren't what they were supposed to be. He promised that he'd bless the nations through them, and yet so often what happened is that the influence didn't flow out from Israel, but from the nations to them, corrupting them. They always fell short. We could see this in the kings. David was this great king. He had 40 years of a really good reign. He was a man after God's heart. God was blessing him and his reign over the people of God. And on his heels, after this 40 years of reign, comes Solomon. Solomon is given wisdom from God. He blesses some of the nations. He builds this great temple, but he too falls short and doesn't continue with faithfulness throughout his days. You see, the faithful people of God, they kept hoping that God would establish his king and his kingdom in their midst and that they would have the reign and rule that they'd been looking for and hoping for all to have every part of them fall short at some point. And maybe we can understand their kind of letdowns. Maybe Christmas shows us kind of the letdown that we feel is like their letdowns, how it can even point us to the longing that we have for God's king and the kingdom of God to be finally and fully present. Even though we get glimpses of it, we can't fully realize it. And we get disappointed by, by all the stuff that's going on around us. And it doesn't seem as if God is in control or in charge. We look around and we see sin and we see death and we see brokenness all around us. And it might seem like the kingdom of God is a fairy tale kingdom. that's far, far away, only talked about, but not really realized. Well, God knows the struggles of his people. He always has known them. And in the midst of their struggles, he inserts a divinely inspired prayer. Indeed, the Psalms are divinely inspired prayers that give words of hope. And one of these Psalms, Psalm 72, offers hope to the people of God by showing them God's desire for an ideal king and an ideal kingdom. And Psalm 72 gives us a vision of the kingdom of God with a king who rules over the people of God on behalf of God, and he rules with justice and righteousness. He, in other words, he, he goes about setting all things right, all things in order. There's justice for the poor and the oppressed, along with compassion toward them. Creation itself is spoken of in, in ways that are being fruitful, they're bearing fruit in the ways that God made them to bear fruit. The nations come and serve the king, and they're blessed as this king's rule extends to all the ends of the earth. So in other words, this prayer shows us, not only gives us words to pray to our God for the king and the kingdom to come, but it shows God's desire for people to have solid hope in this king who will rule in the right way gives them hope beyond their current circumstances, hope in his ideal king, in his ideal kingdom. And so God gave this prayer, Psalm 72, so that the people of God could lift their voice in hope and align their desires with his desire. So Psalm 72 is this prayer for, to God for the king. 
showing again God's desire of an ideal king and an ideal kingdom. One author says it this way, though, as we start this psalm. The Psalm 72 holds up before the actual king some of the dimensions of the ideal which he is meant to embody, a reminder of his high calling. But the dimensions always exceed what is possible for any merely human king. And so as we read Psalm 72, we're looking at what the king should be, but we're also looking at what the kings weren't. And so this psalm is awaiting and hoping for another king, the king that God would provide. So Psalm 72 begins by asking God to give the king what's necessary for him to rule well. It says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. In other words, the king is to reflect God. He's to be this kind of representative of God's reign and rule over the people as he reigns and rules. And that means that he must rule with justice and righteousness. We know God delights in these things. We're reminded of this, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. You likely know this phrase, like, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man boast in his might, the rich man boast in his riches. But what are you to boast in? That you understand and know the Lord. And what kind of Lord do we have? One who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth because he delights in these things. So God, the king over all the universe, is a God who delights in justice and righteousness. And his kings are to reflect that in their reign and rule. Or we could look a few pages over in Psalm 145, verse 17. It says the same idea. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. God always acts according to his perfect standard, and he wants kings to reflect that perfect standard in how they act, in how they reign, in how they rule. And not only is God the perfectly righteous and just one, but we're reminded of in verse 1 that he's the source of these. That if the kings are going to rule with justice and righteousness, that's not going to come from them just figuring out something internal inside them. And they're like, oh, I had it in me all along. I just needed to look within. No, they need to look to God and they need the people to help them look to God by crying out to him saying, give this to the king because it comes from you. He's the source of justice and righteousness. And giving the justice and righteousness to the king results in it being exercised in good ways among his people. Look at the results of some of this that could happen in verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. And God, we see right from here, has a special concern for his people and a special concern among them for the weak and the poor. And the king is to reflect that special concern in the way he carries out his reign and rule over the people. He is to... Be like Lady Justice, right? We, we think of Lady Justice as this holding the scales and to make right judgments. Blindfolded, right? It doesn't see. It's not partial to, to something. Not deceived by appearances. Not given to bribes or swayed with smooth talk. There's no partiality in how we carry out judgment and righteousness. There's no preference given to any. Instead, we keep reading verse 4. He defends the cause of the poor, of the people. He gives deliverance to the children of the needy and crushes the oppressor. And this is justice and righteousness applied, that there's defense and there's crushing, both of them for and in the name of righteousness. God has this special concern. The king reflects this special concern by taking responsibility for those who are poor, for those who are oppressed, 
by defending them and by crushing their oppressors, both done in righteousness. In other words, the king goes about in society, over his kingdom, setting things right, putting things in order, making things as they should be. Justice is being full of love for other people, as people, as image bearers, being loving to your neighbor as you love yourself, to treat each other as fully human. And the king is the one who's to lead out in this kind of society in doing this. The king is to reflect God again to the people. The result of this godly authority continues. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So the king, as he reigns in justice and righteousness, is to be this mediator of, of blessing, this mediator of peace, and that's abounding so that the people flourish under his reign and rule. The, the righteous, they, they flourish under this king's rule. Peace abounds in every corner of his kingdom. Why? Because the king is working for the right things. He's full of justice and righteousness. Because the king does what verse 12 says. He delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. You can tell a lot by a person by how they treat the lowliest of people. And this king is to treat the lowliest of people as if they're equal to him and watching out for them. This is the kind of king that everybody could get in line with. You could be on board with this kind of king. If he's going to offer this kind of protection, that's the kind of king you want to be under. You would flock to this kind of place. If the king's going to do this, if he's going to defend the right of the poor and the needy, then he would defend my rights, my life, if I came under that same situation. He would be one who would defend me against oppressors, no matter what they're doing. That's the kind of king you could live under. And as justice and righteousness are exercised, the the weak, the poor, the needy, they're, they're rescued, they're protected, they're shown compassion, they're treated with dignity. It's a compelling vision of society, a place that people would want to be. And yet, as we think about this way of living, if 12 through 14, and how beautiful that would be to see lived out, we know that even the best kings failed here. David, perhaps the greatest king in Israel's history, he did great with Mephibosheth. He was in the line of kind of David's enemy, Saul, who's tried to kill David over and over again, and yet David wanted to show kindness and mercy to the line of Saul. So he shows kindness and mercy to John's, or his grandson here with Mephibosheth. He did great in that, brought him into the king's palace, let him eat at the king's table. He didn't do so great with Uriah the Hittite. Solomon, he shows wisdom in 1 Kings 3. Hey, you remember this is kind of his first episode as king where he, he shows his greatness of his wisdom. And the people, they even recognize it. They recognize his wisdom. They say in verse, this is, you know, he has these two prostitutes. They have this child that's one is killed and the other one is alive and they're trying to fight over who gets it and he shows his great wisdom and all of Israel heard of his judgment that the king had rendered and they they stood in awe of him because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Maybe this is the one, maybe he's the one that we're talking about in Psalm 72, that he's going to be the one to establish a, a kingdom of justice and righteousness. But yet this one so quickly turns from being the one who defends 
to an oppressor, we read in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4, as they're installing Rehoboam as king, that your father, speaking of Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Solomon, the one who was full of wisdom, turned and became an oppressor and part of his reign and rule over the people of God. Those two great kings of Israel's history, they didn't get it right. Injustice and unrighteousness and sin were all too present in their kingdoms and in their reigns and in their rules and in their own hearts. So Psalm 72 is needed because king after king after king failed to exercise justice and righteousness that would be for the good of all of society, all the people of God. The, the king leading with righteousness would make blessings flow, but those blessings weren't flowing the way they should have. It would have promoted peace and flourishing would have abounded in the kingdom, but that wasn't happening. This, Psalm 72, was a needed prayer because this only comes from God. The human kings couldn't deliver on these things. They weren't ideal. What was needed was an ideal king. And what Psalm 72 does is as it's praying these good desires for the king that's in place, it's also provoking a longing for a better king, a hope for something different. It turns in hope to God to ask him for help as king after king failed. This prayer ignites the flames of hope beyond human kings, looks to God for something different, something better, something more long-lasting. What was needed was one who would come and would rule with complete justice and righteousness, with an eternal reign. Because as even at the peak of their kingdoms, David and Solomon, they knew that they weren't going to last. Even their good parts of their reigns would destined to end. Psalm 72 gives prayer to God's promises of a better king. In Psalm 72, it points us forward to thinking about what has God promised? What has God given to us? And Psalm 72 doesn't make it explicit, but it's very similar to other places where the explicit king is promised. These are classic Christmas texts. You think of Isaiah chapter 11. Notice the similarity in language here to Psalm 72. And his delight... That is the one who's going to be this, this shoot that's going to come forth from the stump of Jesse. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees. In other words, he's, he's just. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. And righteousness, again, notice the similarity, shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Or you could go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it tells us that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's, he's kingly. He's carrying the government. He's leading this forward because he's a king figure. And he shall, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. They're abounding in his reign and his rule and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. There's a similarity with Psalm 72. Now this is going to come, Isaiah says, the reality of Psalm 72 and the things that God desires and the things that people are to be praying for come about through a son given, a child born. And when we pick up the story in the book of Luke, chapter 1, the angel Gabriel alludes to those passages in Isaiah 
when he says to Mary in verse 31 of chapter 1, Behold, you will conceive, and in your womb, and bear a son, and his name shall be called, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, the scripture is pointing us to the king that was needed, and the king that was needed was going to be born to Mary. The king that was needed, the king that God desired, the king that we should desire was Jesus. And he came to set things right. He comes and declares that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he goes about healing many. Not just powerful, not the elites. He, he heals those who are in need and come to him. He heals the sick. He, he comes and he teaches, blessed are the poor. He is the one who fed the multitudes. And he made sure that everyone that was coming out to hear him had what they needed, were taken care of. And perhaps maybe some of them with Psalm 72 in mind, seeing how he's promoting justice and righteousness and taking care of the poor by feeding them, they tried to make him king. Maybe they had Psalm 72 rattling around their brains. He taught his followers to love their neighbors, to, in other words, live out a just life, a righteous life. He, he tells them, you need to show justice and love to your neighbor like this good Samaritan did in that parable of the good Samaritan. He spoke out against the religious elite who were devouring widows, who were acting unjustly. He welcomed children and outcasts, and he ate exclusively with sinners. Some of them were labeled sinners by the religious elites of the time to think that they were worse than others, and those were the ones he specifically targeted to spend time with. More than all this, Paul kind of concludes what Jesus has done in 2 Corinthians verse 8 when speaking of Jesus that he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus who, how else could rich, you could describe in a million different ways. He is with the Father and the Spirit eternally, enjoying perfect relationship, reigning and ruling, getting glory that he deserves, and he descends. He was rich, and he takes on flesh, and he dwells among us. That by his poverty, many might become rich. Jesus, in the words, took on flesh to uphold ultimate justice. And to uphold ultimate justice, he had to become poor. And he had to die as a substitute for, in the place of sinners, for the poor, spiritually. And this work of Jesus makes it possible then for God, as the king over all, to be both just and the justifier of those who would have faith in his son Jesus, who became poor so that many might become rich. The king makes many rich by welcoming them into his family through their faith, justifying them, and he welcomes them in through his body and his blood. And all of those who come through Jesus, not just a few, not just the select couple, all who come through Jesus are welcomed in with open arms and are welcomed into the inheritance as sons, co-heirs with Christ. And they're welcomed into a place where the poor flourish, where there are no poor anymore, where evil and oppressors are finally and fully crushed where salvation reigns, where there is no hunger anymore, neither is there crying anymore because the king has wiped away every tear from every eye. 
other words, Psalm points us forward to Jesus, to his coming, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection. And it gives us a solid hope, not only because of those things, but in his future return and upon his second coming. We know that our king is going to finally and fully put an end to all injustice, all unrighteousness, and reign forever in the perfect kingdom as the perfect king. So this should give us hope. It should put the, the prayer of Psalm 72 in our lips, possibly in a new way. We could cry out truly, as the Psalm 72 starts, we could cry out, make haste, sorry, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Give it, God. Bring that finally and fully to us. Psalm 72 also describes this ideal's Ideal king's rule in in universal terms. If we look at Psalm 72, he's given this universal rule in both time and space. Let's look in verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Verse 7. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound so the moon be no more. Verse 17. May his name endure forever and continue as long as the sun He's given this universally time, universal time over all things. He rules forever, in other words. In other words, this outstrips all human kings. They couldn't do this. They were all destined to die. But this king, uh, Psalm 72 speaks of, the ideal king rules forever. They express God's desire that one would rule in this way forever, over all things. The right king with the right kind of rule to rule forever. Now, a lot of what Psalm 72 is echoing is, is 2 Samuel 7. You remember the promises that were made there to David, that he would have a, a one in his family would be on the throne forever. 2 Samuel, verse 7, or 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, says that when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David's days would be fulfilled and he would lie down with his fathers. In other words, he cannot fulfill some of these things, but here's what he says. Here's what he promises. I'm going to raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, in other words, in the line of David, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, a lot of what we've read in Psalm 72 is, is speaking of this, is a very good exposition of, of 2 Samuel 7, that the one of David's line is going to rule forever. But as king after king kept coming and failing and dying, we know that they couldn't fulfill what Psalm 72 was speaking of. It prays for a king and a kingdom that are unlike any human king, that are different, that rule forever, and that they rule all over the earth. Not only do they have a universal rule in terms of time, but think of the space. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. His, His reign, his rule covers everything. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. And may the kings of Tarshish of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. In other words, that the reign and rule of this king, all the king's nations, uh, all these nations are getting in line with the king through submission to him. Through service to him, they're even paying tribute to this king and to his reign and to his rule. This king has an international dominion, an international reign. And he puts all of his enemies in subjection and he draws from them their tribute, their praise to him. This universal reign, it gets response from the very ends of the earth. Verse 17 says this, that may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. 
and may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Here's another expression of, of God's desire that God's king would reign over all time and over all people and that through this king, the representative of God's reign and rule, what happens to the nations? They're blessed. Blessings flow to the nations. They flow to the nations through the king's rule, through his reign, through his kingship. In other words, the king is the instrument, the means through which the blessings to the nations flow. Now, does that sound familiar? That God was going to use one to make blessings flow to the nations. That the nations would be blessed as God has promised. More specifically, we could say that the nations are blessed through the means of a mediator, through a representative of God's people. If you look in Genesis chapter 12, something similar was said to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, as all the nations will be blessed. And one commentator says this, that the wording of Psalm 72, verse 17, is identical to the promises to Abraham. We have the same verb in the same form, the same preposition, and the same subject, all nations. Psalm 72, verse 17, could say something like, Psalm 2 says, kiss the sun, Come and subject yourself to him. But Psalm 72 is making an important connection for us between promises given to Abraham and promises given to David and David's line. You see, the blessing of the nations that was promised to Abraham, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, was going to come through, Psalm 72, a Davidic king, a king in the line of David. It was going to come through an ideal king and his ideal kingdom. So for the Abrahamic promises to be realized, the blessings would flow to the ends of the earth, to all of the nations and all the families of the earth be blessed through Abraham, a king was going to need to come. And it was going to need to reign and rule in Psalm 72-like fashion. The king then is going to be the mediator, the instrument, the means that God uses to make blessings flow to the ends of the earth. David didn't accomplish this. Remember in Acts chapter 2? Peter's preaching this famous sermon at Pentecost, and he says, David's tomb is right over here. Nations weren't blessed. Solomon, maybe the next greatest king, he stopped blessing nations and instead was corrupted by nations. And we could go through the line of faithful kings, of who there are few, and all of them failed in one way or another, and at least not that they died, and that we could find their tombs as well. Psalm 72 points beyond human kings to a king who can fulfill both promises made to Abraham and promises made to David and his line. That is one who's going to have to be able to conquer even death. Psalm 72 gives us a hope and hope for all of God's people that the kingdom spoken of was going to come through his king. You remember how Psalm 1 and 2, we started at Psalm 2 thinking of these psalms. Psalm 1 and 2 kind of open up the the first book of the Psalms, they, they point to the reign and rule of the, the Lord's anointed. Now, Psalm 72 ends, as it says at the very end, verse 20, the prayers of David. In other words, the, the one who compiled these Psalms was putting them together with an idea in mind. 
that as we book in these two books of Psalms, one's going to start with the reign and rule of God, and we're going to end in Psalm 72 with the kingdom established and the blessings flowing to the nations. Psalm 72 announces the victory of the Lord's anointed. Psalm, or Psalm 2 announces the victory of the Lord's anointed. And Psalm 72 doesn't say, come and kiss the sun, but it already speaks of the sun's kingdom established and blessings flowing to the nations. Psalms 1 and 2 and 72 are then the bookends. And then the, the bookends are showing us that the king reigns and the nations are blessed, changed, subdued through the reign of this king. And on the night that Jesus was born... Luke tells us that there were some angels that appeared to some shepherds out on the hillside. And listen to what they told them in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared with them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of a good reign for all peoples. And his name is, is going to be one who is called a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord's anointed, Christ the Lord. This is God himself who is coming. It's through this one that was promised long ago in Isaiah, spoken of and pointed to in Psalm 72 and Psalm 2. It's through this Jesus that the nations are blessed. It's through him that the promises both to Abraham and David are fulfilled. It all relies on him. And the blessings flow to the nations through Jesus because through him, through his body and his blood, nations that are raging against God can be reconciled to God by faith in Christ. Jesus is one who came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near because blessings are flowing through him to all. He preached peace to Jews and Gentiles. He welcomed all who came to him. He sent his followers then to proclaim the gospel to what? All of the nations to make disciples to the ends of the earth so that blessings would flow from him through them to all the corners of the earth. It's through Jesus that one day people from every tribe, tongue, people, language, and nation will be around the kingdom throne, singing out glory to the one true living king. It's through Jesus, the ideal king, that blessings flow, as we could say it, far as the curse is found. In Psalm 72, don't you hear that kind of language that even creation itself is bearing fruit in the right kind of way? It kind of sounds like Edenic. Sounds like the garden. Sounds like a new creation. And there's only one king that can bring that in and make blessings flow as far as the curse is found. It has to be a king that's going to be the fulfillment of Abraham. It has to be a king that's going to be the fulfillment of David. And we have that greater one in the person of Jesus. There's going to be flourishing in this kingdom for the weak, the needy. In fact, there will be none there who aren't weak and needy and have turned to their Savior in their weakness and neediness. And there will be a complete new creation where everything is in harmony with the one true king, including all of the nations. Paul put it this way, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Promises to Abraham, promises to David, they all find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And so if the ideal king and the ideal kingdom seem far away to you, perhaps you've already felt like Christmas is in the rear view, now I have credit cards that are due. My toy's already broken. I've got to go stand in line with a mask on so I can exchange the shirt that doesn't fit. 
you experience letdown after letdown over and over again, then perhaps you too need to do what Psalm 72 does and be pointed to the ideal king and set your eyes on Jesus. He came saying that the kingdom of God is near, not a far, far away kingdom. It's near. It's found not in some sort of location or experience. It's found in a person. It's found in him. And so he gives us the invitation, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He invites us into the kingdom as sons if we would just come through repentance and faith in the one true living king. In Jesus, we have this anchor for our souls, an anchor that gives us what we need to face disappointment and let down after let down, be it toys, clothes, or sin and death and brokenness that's ever present in our world. We can face all those things because we have a hope that can endure, hope that's beyond this world, Hope that leads, I think, rightly to where Psalm 72 leads. Psalm 72 ends, as many Psalms end, with doxology, with praise to God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.